This is Women Speak Cyber, the podcast with a diversity of ideas critical to solving the complex challenges of securing businesses and people today. We believe all voices need to be heard. Whether you're an aspiring speaker, leader, or wanting to advocate for others, join Louisa P and Louisa V and their special guests who will share tools, tips, and inspirational stories that will help you to speak cybersecurity with confidence and impact. Well, welcome to episode six of the Women Speak Cyber podcast. We are so excited to have probably someone who's quite familiar to all of our listeners. So we are so excited to welcome Jackie Lusteau, Executive Director and Founder of AWSN, and for those who don't know, the Australian Women's Security Network, here as our guest for Episode 6. So Jackie, welcome. Thanks for having me. And look, you're in day 6 million of lockdown (laughs) down in Victoria. How are you doing? Oh, it's not easy, that's for sure. Mm. Yes, I don't think it's easy for anyone over here in, in Victoria. No. And look, I think you guys have had your fair share and LV is also based in Victoria. So we really feel for you. We're rooting for you and we hope that you're going to come out of your freedom day like New South Wales did very, very soon. So fingers crossed. So Jackie, welcome. I think a lot of our listeners would know you and they would probably know you through AWSN. But today we just want to talk to you about Jackie. So you're someone I see on the stage a lot, but... I'm pretty sure from our conversations when we originally launched Project Friedman, standing and presenting wasn't something that you were overly comfortable with at first. Is that right? That's right. No, I was extremely shy and not wanting to get up in front of a crowd and speak in front of people. And that included even birthday party speeches. I was terrified of even doing that. Really? Absolutely terrified of public speaking and speaking in front of crowds and even in meetings. So your first foray into this, was that due to your work or was it something else? It was. So my very first experience with public speaking, in 2006, I had the opportunity to put in for a paper in Washington for the ISF forum. And I did that because my boyfriend at the time and husband now actually (laughs) had got an opportunity to work over in the US for a year. And I was looking for every opportunity possible to go over there and see him. So I went, okay, I might as well submit for this paper. (laughs) Probably don't get it. But if I do, great. I get to go over to Washington and talk at a conference. Little did I know that I was going to get selected. And I wrote a paper on cybercrime data protection across borders, a topic that I'm very passionate about even today. And I could probably present the same presentation. It would still be quite relevant. (laughs) And I remember submitting that guy and, okay, probably won't get it. I'll just try it anyway. And then I got this email that from the ISF, the global conference saying, congratulations, you are going to be presenting. (laughs) And I seriously almost had a heart attack. I went, okay, what have I done? (laughs) What you do for love. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty massive first step. (laughs) You're presenting to a global conference. Wow. But my company in the UK was extremely supportive. So I was working at the time for a small boutique cybersecurity company called Insight Consulting. And their CEO was very supportive of everything that I was doing. So he put me through some public speaking training, which was really great. And I think I 
refined and practiced my talk for like three or four months leading up to the actual presentation because I was absolutely terrified. I was like, how could I have gone from not even wanting to talk in a meeting to I'm going to present on stage? So, you know, the day came and I got up on stage and practiced it a million times. My CEO was on the front row, I remember, there supporting me. And I had all these cards in front of me because I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write it on cards just in case I need them. And I ended up just freaking out when I saw everyone in the audience and I read the whole entire presentation with the cards. So I completely flunked it. And after that point, I went, I'm never going to present ever again. So I just, it just put me off presenting and I didn't want to present ever again after that point. And so I really retreated. I just went, I'm good at delivering. I'm good at making other people look good. I'm just going to be one of those people in the background doing a really good job and not be the person that presents. So I did that. And I also had a fear of going red as well. So I have a a tendency to go red and I was terrified of that happening. I was terrified of sounding stupid, saying the wrong thing, not saying anything very interesting. So I was just like, no, there's there's just too much there. I'm just never going to try ever again with that. And then I got into a role where I had to do presentations. So I knew I absolutely had to get over this fear of public speaking. That's so like bold, but you still did it, which is it's incredible because I, I'm pretty sure if I was in that situation, I would have not done it like that. That's huge that you got up there and you, and you did it and you delivered your talk. And did you get any feedback? Like you kind of said that you feel like you completely messed it up, but did, did anyone tell you how it went from there, from the audience perspective? So the room was full. That was what freaked me out. Cause I thought, yeah. okay, no one's going to come, but Obviously, it was a quite an interesting topic and I researched a lot for it and they stayed the whole time. So I went, okay, maybe that was a positive sign because they probably could have crept out at some point. And I got lots of questions, which was really great as well, I guess. And people did come up afterwards. And even though I did feel like I didn't deliver it well, obviously the content that I put in it was interesting, I guess. So I don't think I remember anything else because I was so traumatized by it. <laughs> yep. Understandably. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's interesting because when we had Shemaine on last episode, we were kind of talking about the fact that we're often our own worst critic, but also our experience of presenting, especially when you're, you know, it's not something that comes naturally to you. Like what we experience is actually often different to what the audience experiences and, and what they experience is way more positive than how we felt inside. So yeah, that, that's really interesting. So, so did you listen to the feedback and, to, and, and did you feel like the fact that you got questions that people stayed to the end? Did you see that as a positive at all? Or did you just feel like that's it? I'm, I'm terrible at this. Not at the time. I just went, no, nah, I'm terrible at this. And just, <laughs> I, it was actually literally just now where I went, oh, actually the room was full still. So that's only now that I thought, oh, well, maybe it wasn't that bad. But at the time I just went, no, that's it. Not doing anymore. Yeah. And so I literally did not do any more public speaking until when I moved to ANZ and I had to do that. And the great thing at ANZ was that they had Toastmasters internally. So that's when I started to do Toastmasters and I just did two sessions and Emily Edgley was in that with me. And I just remember Emily getting up there and just wowing me going. And I went, wow, I want to present like her. And just two sessions in Toastmasters really changed me. Then I started to notice, I guess, in conferences, 
the way that people were presenting, I thought, oh, okay, well, actually, you know, storytelling could be a really great way to do it because they were the ones that were the most engaging. And when people were telling stories, as Emily always tells us now, um, that is when you remember them. And so then after I'd met Emily and, you know, I'd started to do some of these Toastmasters sessions, I got the opportunity to talk at a university. Somebody said, oh, would you like to come and do a, a career panel? with some other people to talk about what it's like to work in security. And I went, oh, sure. So I went along and there was about, you know, 20 people in this particular room. And I remember being terrified, of course, (laughs) talking about, even if it was talking about myself, I was terrified. I went, oh my gosh, I probably didn't come across very well, et cetera. But then I had like a line of female students come up to me and they said, oh, thank you so much for coming to talk. We've been having a lot of doubts when it comes to a career in IT and a career in security because a lot of our male counterparts, have students have been telling us that we shouldn't be doing this. And it's mm. really great to see females that are in this industry. And that really changed me because I was just like going, okay, well, actually, you know, being able to present is quite powerful because these few women that were in the room, they need to see that we exist, I guess. And I know you both think uh, that this kind of you can't be what you can't see is very, very strong. Like I never had any female role models when I was growing up. A lot of my role models and mentors were male and I had a really great cyber security career and experience, but I didn't have any female role models. And I thought, okay, well, these students, they need that. So this is the way that I could do that. And we're so glad you did. Mm. So did that start to make it feel that public speaking was a positive thing or that you could at least see that when you did it, there was there was a bigger picture, if that makes sense? Yes. It started to then make me realise that the more that we told our stories, the more impact it will have. So that's when we started to do the percent events and then I ended up having to open them up and, you know, introduce a speaker and I had to get out of that comfort zone and actually do something. Yeah. Actually, that's really similar to the story from Shemaine last week with her CISO sort of meetings that she had. She ended up having to get on stage and introduce when she ran her events and it was the same sort of forced pressure to just get comfortable with almost being an MC and being on a stage for her. So it's very similar. Absolutely. And, yeah, I had to... Often it was only me that was able to do it. So I was like, okay, well, I have to do it. And because I have a whole lot of friendly faces in front of me, it makes it a lot easier as well. And so it was a great way to get reintroduced, I guess, into public speaking. Jackie, talking of AWSN events, I remember when you invited me to come and speak on your panel and and I was like, oh, yeah, I can handle that. I remember thinking that that doesn't sound too scary and it's an AWSN event and friendly faces and all those things. But I remember I got there and it was more just like a take it in turns to, to share your story rather than sitting on a panel, which is what I had in my head. And I remember that absolute sinking feeling I had and I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be speaking on my own about me. And I remember being absolutely terrified and I got up there and I remember the first thing I said was, I'm really scared of public speaking. And then it was almost like, after I said that, I was like, Oh, that felt good. Actually, isn't that that bad? Now I've admitted this thing, then, you know, like it, it just flowed from there. And then I remember one of the attendees came up to me afterwards and said, thank you for saying that. 
because she said, see this scar on my head. I passed out from the fear of public speaking at university and hit my head and, you know, I've got this scar and it's so good to know that I'm not alone. And just, it's that, I think when you realize and you, you, you get that feedback that it's a bigger picture, there's people you can help. I think it helps take the focus away from your own fears and anxieties about it. And you go, actually, do you know what? I need to do this because people need my help. <laughs> and so that was such an awesome experience for me, even though it started with me being very scared. And I remember that. And when you said, oh, that was one of the first times I've presented, I went, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> I could not believe it because you seem so confident and composed. And when you admitted, oh, you know, I'm a bit nervous. I was like, what? Really? <laughs> Couldn't believe it. So... And that just speaks to the point we were talking about earlier, that common theme that it's the way that people experience you is so much more positive than how you feel inside, which is a good thing because, you know, ultimately probably most of the things you're worried about is that the audience are not going to enjoy or, or get value out of what you're saying. And that and that becomes part of the, the concern about speaking. And then to get that kind of feedback is just, yeah, that was life changing. Like that made me go, right, I got to do more of this. I can do this. <laughs> and, and I remember because we were sort of close to starting Women Speak Cyber, I don't think we'd kind of got to the Project Friedman point in our development yet. But I remember Louisa saying, if we're going to do this, I'm going to have to actually start presenting myself too. <laughs> and I remember she was, because I, I think I was, I don't think I was in Melbourne at that time, but I remember doing it like everything. She always doubts herself and then does an amazing job. But yeah, it was kind of like the catalyst for both of us saying, well, if we're going to start telling people they, you know, need to start getting the courage to stand up on stage, we probably should start actually doing it ourselves. <laughs> and I don't know if that was before or after we did the NIDA course. Do you remember? I can't, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the one thing we know from Project Friedman is all of the women feel the same. All of them kind of have this support network when they realize, okay, it's not just me. And all of them kind of encourage each other to go on. And it's kind of what I think is beautiful about this industry that we as women all encourage each other to get up and do it, even if they're not part of Project Friedman. So yeah, pretty special. So Jackie, take us back to when you're emceeing and you kind of realize that, God, I just need to do this and there's no one else to emcee, so I'm going to do it. But did it get easier over time? How did you feel? about doing that? So emceeing is okay now for me. I think it was the initial stages when I need to do something different, then I start to freak out. So I still use Emily as my coach because I have new different things that I need to do in my speaking career. So the first time I had to do a podcast, I went, Emily, can you help me please? And when I needed to do my first, you know, on stage panel session she helped me it's nice to have somebody that I can go to to just even if it's to confirm something as well like yes you're on the right track or maybe you could look at it this particular way I was having sessions with Emily I realized this is so valuable I really really value this type of coaching it would be really great if other women had access to it. So that's why I then went, okay, I've got this idea. <laughs> you know, there's not many women that are talking in conferences. You know, there's a lot of women that you know really struggle to public speak. What do you think about offering something to 80% members? And she said, that sounds great. So that's when I then contacted the both of you for Women Speak Cyber. And that's how we gave birth to this new baby called Project Freeman. <laughs> <Yeah. Rigman. laughs> And you both have taken it to the next level, which is fantastic. And it's a really great platform to be able to get women 
more confident, you know, with speaking because it's in us. It's just that we need that reassurance almost, you know, that we can do it. That network, as you said, Louisa, Mm. to try and encourage each other to get those opportunities as well. So have you done some keynotes? You kind of share how that went for you, like uh, after you had the coaching from Emily for whether it was a podcast, a keynote or, or something else. Like how did you feel going into it and then how did you feel afterwards? One of the first keynotes that I had to do was probably the sit summit with Erica. So I had somebody else on stage, which was really great. So we kind of TikTok each other. Then I did a another keynote and I was really nervous, but it was a lot better because the storytelling really helps, I think. And if it's a topic that I know, then it's a lot easier as well. And then COVID happened. So I've done I think I've done about 15 podcasts actually (laughs) or webinars over this period because I know that I need to tell the story a lot more. So that's what drives me to do it. Mm. And it gets easier as I I do more, I guess. How do you find the medium of presenting virtually? Because we've kind of got this conundrum this year where, as you know, our goal is to have them all standing on the stage presenting to an audience. And unfortunately, this year, like last year, we just don't have that opportunity to get everyone on a stage this year. Some are opting to try for the first time virtually, but it's such a different medium. It's hard when you don't initially get that feedback and you can't see people's faces. Have you found, you know, a real difference in in presenting um, virtually rather than in, in a room with people? Absolutely. When it comes to a webinar, especially if all of them turn their cameras off, yeah. you get nothing back. So you're not sure how they're reacting. And a lot of when you're presenting, it's looking at the audience, kind of measuring what their interests are, which can also be terrifying because if you see someone that's on their phone or they're yawning, then that can be really terrifying as well and off-putting. But when you've got black screens, then that can be really hard too. Just talking to no one is, is quite intimidating as well. And it's hard to engage, I think, as well. Yeah. It's harder to ask questions. It's harder to um, do a poll, for example, put your hand up if you feel this particular way. So that makes it really difficult. And so I think a lot of people and a lot of people also have a bit of webinar fatigue as well. Yeah. So when it comes to a lot of the webinars, I think a lot of people are just listening to it in the background while doing something else. It's not yep. like a conference where you go there, you dedicate your time and you're sitting there just watching that one person, which I think yeah. is a lot different. I can imagine the way that we have to present is a, a lot different on screen than it is if you were on a stage because it's the whole, you know, mentally preparing, wanting to get up onto the stage, not tripping over, getting to the podium, is the mic working, are my slides going to (laughs) work? All of those elements, there's a lot more parameters when it comes to that physical one as opposed to the webinar where sometimes you could actually be in your pyjama bottoms (laughs) and present (laughs) um, to an audience. (laughs) I'm not going to say whether I do that or not, (laughs) but you can. You absolutely can. Yep. And I think that's, you know, we're, we're really trying to encourage this year's or this cohort to 
even if they do present virtually this year, to commit to finding an event next year. Because when I think back to the first cohort, we had them all in one place. They sat in the room with each other. They cheered each other on. And we really want them to, this cohort to experience that same feeling of success of, you know, they worked so hard to get these presentations built and, you know, soundboarded with someone in the industry. And now we want them to take their incredible messages that they've got. And some of them, wow, you know, some of them are like, Louisa and I don't even understand the topic. It's that intense. But we really want people to hear what they've got to say because they're just incredible this year. So fingers crossed next year, we are back into the swing of in-person events because I think we're all ready for them. That's for sure. Well, one good thing about webinars, I guess, is that you could get to a lot more people as well. You can have it recorded, so it is there for people to listen to again later. And also for first-time speakers, it can be really good as well because you can have your notes all over your, you know, (laughs) plastered all over your wall or on another screen. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, going up on stage for the first time and not having your notes. Like I remember that first time of not having notes was terrifying. And obviously my very first one, I had the notes written and I read from it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, yeah, there's benefits for, you know, having your first time talk by webinar as well. I wish there was a way that you could turn off when people disconnect though, because I find it really disconcerting when you can hear the pinging in and out. And in a physical conference, you do get people on their phones and, and walking out the room to take a call <laughs> and, and things like that. And yeah, so, so I think it's good to get used to the fact that not everyone is going to fully engage in your talk. And that's okay. That's totally fine. Yeah. And just, you know, kind of like be okay with that yourself because then that can help you get through that distraction because, yeah, it, otherwise that could really sort of throw you off track potentially if, um, yeah. Absolutely. And I think one message that I wanted to mention is that if you hear somebody that you really enjoyed speaking in a webinar, message them and reach out to them because a lot of the time they're probably wondering how they went. If they reached you, they want feedback, constructive feedback, positive feedback, because they're probably not getting it. And, you know, they've spent probably hours preparing this talk And if they don't get that feedback, it's quite difficult. If you hear somebody present and you really enjoyed it or listen to somebody on a podcast, just ping them a really short message. Hey, I heard your presentation. It was really great. I really enjoyed this particular point. I agree with this. Any kind of feedback is just a really decent, I guess, it's like a a respectful thing to do after someone's, you know, done a, a presentation. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. It is. So Jackie, if you don't mind, I I did want to go back to something you said near the start of our chat, that you were afraid to speak in meetings. It's something I've also experienced and I'd love to talk to you about how you overcame that and if you've kind of unpacked the why and whether you've kind of made sense of why that was a challenge for you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So... My fear of speaking in meetings was the pressure I was putting on myself. It was a, it was similar to what I, you know, not wanting to speak out and not saying something intelligent or not saying something that was right or being judged. The more I got into a meeting and I didn't say anything, the more I was like, okay, now I've got to say something really smart. But also <laughs> at the same time I was processing. So I need to just, I take in a lot of information, listen, analyze it, 
and then I come up with a million ideas and a million other questions, etc. It usually takes a while for me to process everything because I'm processing lots of different things in different ways. And so it doesn't happen until probably later towards the end of the meeting. And then by that point, the meeting's finished or something, they've moved on to something else. So when it came to that confidence to speak out at that particular point in time, I'm like, no, but I haven't formed all of my thoughts and my ideas and what I want to say. So a lot of the time, even though I was silent, it was because I was processing, not because I was not saying anything or understanding what was happening in the room, I guess. I totally relate to that. I think we're quite similar in that sense. I need to listen, process, and then I'll come back with hopefully great ideas. But, you know, it's just not, I'm not one of those in the moment commenters generally. So it is, I think, more challenging to be in that meeting setting when that's how you're wired. And and I think there's other things I know were at play for me, you know, biases and just just generally not feeling comfortable in the environment that, you know, that my voice was going to sound different or that, you know, quite often only the, the only woman in the room as well. And so that also compounded some of that for me. So, yeah, I think we probably had quite a similar experience in that sense. What did you find helpful? Because we always want to kind of talk about how to advocate for people who aren't, you know, naturally going to speak up in a meeting and, and share their ideas as, as readily for various reasons. Is there anything that you found that other people did that helped you in those situations or what you would recommend? So what I started to do, because I could see that there were other potentially females in my teams that also looked like that they were, you know, processing or struggling to get a word in. Like I like to read people and if they look like they're moving their lips to say something, I'll, go, I'll try to include them and say, okay, you were about to say something and, and give them the opportunity to speak. I was very conscious of that because I know there were some times where I would open my mouth, but then it wasn't the moment I didn't get the opportunity to speak as well. So reading the room in the meeting and seeing that somebody wants to say something, give them that opportunity. But then there's also the ones where they may not have formed an idea completely And it's about then going, okay, let's just unpack that a little bit. Is this what you mean? And trying to re-emphasize what they are trying to say as well. So I did a lot of that. I think it's amplifying what that message is, what somebody else is saying in the room. And that also echoes that you're listening to them as well. So I'm listening to what you're saying, is what you mean. And then that just helps them articulate what their idea or their thought is. Yeah, no, those are some great tips. I've been fortunate to work with some really great people as well who do do things like that to support, you know, making sure that everyone feels included in the way that they're comfortable with. And when you have come to an end of the meeting and you can see, you know, Jackie's not said anything, it's, you know, Jackie, did you have any any thoughts that you wanted to add? And then even following up with them after the meeting to say, how did you find that meeting? What are your thoughts? And sometimes people are more comfortable in that one-on-one or after they've had that time to process to kind of discuss their ideas as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it, I think it's just recognizing that we all do things differently and, and we just want to make sure that everyone feels included in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. And in my meetings nowadays, even though it can be quite difficult, I try to give everyone an opportunity to speak. So we go around the table. And even though that takes a while sometimes to go through, it gives everyone an opportunity to say something, which I think is important as well as part of that feeling like you're part of the team and contributing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
I wanted to ask both of you, now that, you know, you've embarked on this, you know, program and project, have you found public speaking a lot easier? I never found standing up on stage like as an MC or moderating a panel to be overly nerve wracking. You know, I did drama at school and and various things like that. So I had plenty of opportunities as I was growing up. I think where my fear still is, I still, when I get asked to speak, think, why do they want to hear from me? And it's, I'm still guilty of questioning why me, but I think I then worry about the content for me. It's more about, less about how do I present it and more about how do I hit the content well? How do I tell the right story? How do I keep the audience engaged? And that fear that Louisa and I have talked about before, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? That's just that underlying fear. So for me, being on the journey with the second cohort, I still learn something new each time from them. And I still learn something from Emily and from our second coach, Catherine. They've got, you know, amazing tips and tricks, which I then put into my own kind of personal experiences. But I think for me, it's always going to be the content that that's worrying and just getting that that pulled together. Um, I do it for other people all the time. As you sort of said at the start, I've spent a lot of years kind of more in the background writing presentations for other people and working on their content. Then when it comes to mine, for some reason, I'm just far more concerned about getting it really, really right because it's my story and my my content. But going on this journey, every cohort, I think we'll just learn more and more. And hopefully that confidence will come with with that time. LV? Yeah, I agree with the yeah, learning something as well. Has public speaking got easier for me? Definitely. And a lot of that has to do with working with these women and being inspired by their stories and kind of giving me courage as well to kind of go, wow, you know, look at them overcoming this, standing up there at ASA doing a presentation, which I still have never done. So it's really inspiring. I remember that moment, the three of us with Emily as well, was stood at the back of the room at the ASA conference. And I don't often get emotional about kind of these things, but I had tears in my eyes because I just, it, 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 you could see the achievement and all of the energy and love that had gone into the program and the, just the relationships between all the cohort, as, as LP said, you know, cheering them on, cheering each other on. And I just honestly was, I actually walked away from that going, that is the most fulfilling thing I have ever done in my career. And selfishly, I just want to keep doing this because it's so rewarding. And so, yeah, I think that was a bit of a long answer. Yes, it's got easier. And a lot of that has to do with those women and, and how they have been so willing to open up and share their stories and, and be vulnerable. It's, uh, it's definitely changed things for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I remember that ASA conference as well and, and watching them and just got remembering that first session and when they were sharing about their fears and I just went, wow, okay, we aren't alone. That was a real, like, I'm not the only one that thinks this way. And then seeing them up on stage doing the presentation and just really doing it well and, I just remember getting goosebumps going, wow, this is just amazing. Look what they've achieved and being really proud of them because they had worked really, really hard to Mm. get to that point and it paid off. They presented some really, really interesting topics and they presented it well and it it was engaging. And I still actually remember some of their presentations even today because this, the way that they presented and the stories that they told were just so compelling and so memorable. 
yeah, they were definitely impactful. And, you know, I remember seeing that it, one of the ones that we were there in the room at the back and you could see there was like standing room only and people were kind of on their knees, like <laughs> trying to, because there were no seats and there wasn't enough space. And you just kind of look at that and go, yeah, that that's that's incredible. And to get through that, for those of us that are not natural presenters, knowing what it takes to get through that and do it well and to hold your nerve and, and, and deliver that impactful presentation. It's just, yeah, it's a huge achievement. And what's even better is, LV, you posted a speaker request up on our little chat uh, with our first cohort last week or this week. Yeah. And we had three people jump at presenting in an international overseas conference. Yep. So all of them have gone on and presented again and again and again. They will jump at the opportunity when we ask. It's just, you know, they're just blowing us away still. And they still support each other. Every time someone's going to do a presentation, they all sign up to each other's presentations. Yep. They still, anytime any of us get worried about a particular presentation, a lot of message cards come back, no, you can do this, you've got this. And it's just so encouraging. It's really, really, really great. And we talk a lot about that, you know, say yes and then work it out later. And that's what was so heartwarming to see last week still, you know, like there were yeses. It was just like, yep, that's short notice. It's next week. I'm on it. I'll do it. And yeah, that that's a true measure, I think, of are you feeling confident enough in your public speaking skills is when you can say yes. And that's yes. where we want people to get to. Just, yep, I'll work it out. <laughs> So what was, I think, great about this round of applications for Project Friedman, we had a very well-respected CISO and leader in the industry helping us assess some of the applications. And he was amazed at the fact that he didn't know any of the applications and there were 60 odd women. And he was blown away by the fact that there was this talent pool out here that he didn't know. And I think Louisa and I had that again when we were looking at the award winners or the finalists for the Australian Women's Security Awards that you were working on in partnership with Abigail and Source to Create. And there was women that we had never heard of before, but wow, were they doing some incredible things. So we know that there's this talent pool out there and there's these incredible women out there. What we want to see is more and more of them standing on the stage. You know, if every one of those women who was nominated for as a finalist and every one of those women who nominated themselves to participate in Project Friedman, there's like 150 women right there, brand new, that we don't know a lot of in the industry. So that's exciting things to come. Absolutely. There's so many talented people out there and they're just unknown to a lot of this industry. And I guess one other thing that I wanted to say is that part of that is not necessarily getting the confidence to go out and speak on the stage. You know, that's that's what I did, you know, from nothing to stage. (laughs) Um, You know, there's quite a few stages in between that you can do to and public speaking and, um, you know, powerful presenting is a skill that I think is very useful that we should all learn at a very young age because it can help you with a meeting. It can help you present to the board. And once you've actually been presenting to the board or to your team or to your stakeholders, your clients, then that is really powerful. People will then see you as well. They hear you and you can get your point across a lot better if you storytell or you work out 
other ways to present. So I think even though people might not want to get up on stage and present, you know, there's other ways that you can get your message across. You know, there's the magazine as well that Abigail has started as well at Source, at Source to Create, the Australian Women in Security magazine. And if you can write, get your name out there. But there's also, you know, other ways to, yeah, and so there's other ways to do that. That's a really great point because it is other ways to be visible. Public speaking and presenting is a really it's an, an important and life-changing skill. I think anyone who aspires to do that, absolutely they can get there. Like we've heard so many stories on this podcast and you know through the conversations we have about people who have overcome those fears and challenges and they've got there. And if that's something people want to do, brilliant, you know, and we're happy to help with that through through Project Friedman. But as you said, there's other platforms. If writing is your thing, as you said, just do that for now. Like, Um. you know, have a go at that and yeah, get your ideas and your voice out there in the written word. I think Mm. any way we can hear these voices is a positive thing. So it's a really great point. Mm. And talk at the various different associations that are out there as well. They're always looking for really great speakers and usually they're a smaller audience and it's a great place to start as well if you wanted to do more public speaking as well. Yep. Some great tips. So Jackie, we always like to hear people's kind of top tips about how they prep now, now that you've overcome some of those early challenges you had with public speaking and heard a bit about the fact that you, you know, you use a coach, which is makes perfect sense. But what does your prep look like? Are you a write out the whole thing, practice it, or are you more having the talking points? Because we've, we always ask this question and we get lots of different answers. Love to hear your prep. I do all of them. <laughs> so it actually depends on what the topic is and what type of medium I'm going to be presenting. So a lot of the time I will do dot points. Sometimes I might write out the whole thing as well. Sometimes I will then just have stick, uh, post-it notes, you know, of the key things that I wanted to talk about or like a statistic that I might not remember. <laughs> and the other thing that I do, which Emily has been working on, which has helped a lot, is visualisation. So thinking that you know, the presentation is be positive. The presentation is going to go well. I'm going to go up on the stage. I'm not going to go red. <laughs> All these type of things I think helps as well as early preparation as well with a lot of my talks. So sometimes I don't get much notice when it comes to a talk, but if I do get some notice, I like to write out what I'm going to be saying because I like to be prepared. The yep. one talk that I didn't prepare for it was an absolute disaster and I had to re-record it, which was terrible. And I, after that point, I went, no, nah, I need to definitely prepare for every single one now. So I do. Yeah. You know, everybody has their own methods and it's personal to you, isn't it? At the end of the day, you know what's going to work now. Some people we've spoken to definitely write it all out and that's that seems to be a, not uncommon, definitely. And then, yeah, I guess if you could say something to Jackie in Washington on that stage today, what what would you say to her? What were you thinking, girl? <laughs> <laughs> so hard on yourself. <laughs> you did this for love? What? <laughs> well, it clearly was a good decision because you're now married. So. <laughs> yes. 
in all seriousness, I guess I would have said, yeah, have more confidence in yourself. You know what you're talking about. You didn't need those notes, but, you know, you got through it and it worked out okay in the end. Love that. Love it. Well, with that, I think we will close off this chat uh, for this episode. Just want to say thank you, Jackie, for all you do. It's just incredible to have someone like you in this industry and the organization that you have built from the ground up that, you know, we just constantly see how many women are benefiting from what you do. So yeah, thank you for everything because the world's a better place for Jackie being in it. So Oh, thank you. <laughs> and you, both of you as well, though. So this is a very important initiative and you've taken it from when we decided to do this and you've taken it to another level. So, you know, well done. This podcast has been made possible thanks to sponsorship from the Australian Signals Directorate. For updates on Women Speak Cyber and our initiatives to help elevate, grow and retain women speakers in cybersecurity, follow us on Twitter at Women Speak Cyber or find us on LinkedIn.